They change cultures. They're heat seekers. They run at adversity and embrace change. These are the room tilters. Somebody who can change the temperature in a room when they walk in. Mm. And that's metaphorical for somebody who can influence those around them and make it such an impact quickly, emphatically, and long-lasting, whether it be an organization, a team, a relationship, whatever it might be. This is the Room Tilters Podcast, presented by Limitless Minds. Co-hosts DJ Eitzen and Harry Wilson, founders of peak performance and leadership consulting company Limitless Minds, explore how the best and brightest change the temperature in a room. From sports, the military, entertainment and media, clinical psychologists to CEOs, this podcast will navigate what it takes to think big and go far. And now, DJ and Harry. All right. Welcome. Uh, Today, we have Sarah Morgan. Sarah Morgan is an executive, uh, HR executive, a podcaster, a blogger, uh, you know, created the hashtag Black Blogs Matter, which I'm really interested to hear more about that. I think her biggest accomplishment and what all the stuff I read was she, you have five kids, right? Yeah. So yeah. you have five children in a, in a, in a blended family. Hotly. I'm anxious to hear how that, that, that you, how you make that happen on a day-to-day basis, but you're also a, a Richmond spider. I as, am. Uh, Go as, spiders. That's right. So we've, been, I, we've been known to have some spiders on this podcast. I don't know how that happens, but I guess we just have, <laughs> I guess, listen, the Richmond spiders, we have a certain level of excellence, you know what yeah, I mean? That people perfect. just want to, people just want to talk to you. People just want to kind of be around, you know what I'm saying? So, yeah. I, I, so that's the, uh, I've been seeing there. It. You feeling it now. You, under, yeah. you understand it. Yeah. yeah she, he, she, sure. you know, he, DJ knows. So, but yeah, you know, we got a spider on, man. Little we got a spider. spider. We got to uh, have, we got to have some Bowling Green State University Falcons on. That, I, I'm, I'm really waiting. missing the mark. That's right. I got to get the Falcons out there. For. So, but Sarah, we are, we are so excited to have you on the podcast. So tell us a little bit about your background and why, and how you're at where you're at today. My career started 20 years ago as a recruiting coordinator for a staffing company um, outside of Richmond. So in Chester, Virginia, okay. Okay. and then worked there for four or five years, moved into recruiter, eventually moved into site manager. And I was like early 20s, like fresh out of college, managing mm-hmm. this 24-7 production facility of um, just like the most dramatic human resources events <laughs> that you could possibly imagine. Right. Like everything from, you know, harassment to discrimination to like employees re- just like fighting and arguing. And it was just like raucous. Mm. Um, but I learned so much because I was a complete sponge. Like I was young. I didn't know what I was doing. So I just embraced every moment as a learning opportunity of just trying to figure out like what the right thing was and and just wanting to learn more about the business and, and how operations worked and how I could be a support of that in my human resources role. Mm. And then after that, um, kind of switched sides and took on a more corporate human resources roles and HR manager roles, um, got my master's and then eventually worked my way into the director's seat. And I've been sitting now for almost 10 years as in various organizations as the head of HR. So currently I serve in, in as the head of HR for a national retail services organization based in North Carolina. I moved to North Carolina about 12 years ago. Okay. And, um, and then I also run my own consulting company, Buzzaroonie LLC, which has been in existence for three years now. 
Buzzaroni. Isn't that, is, wasn't that your nickname growing it up? It was. was that, it was my nickname growing where up. Where does that so, come from? Where does that come so from? I was, I, no, I I was nosy. Um, <laughs> and, my, and my dad my dad called me a little Buzzaroni. Like he was like, you just buzzing around and you're in everything. And Always so, in the mix. You know, yes. And I, so I rebranded it. And now I just say, I was a curious child. And that, so um, I was a curious child. I asked all the questions. I was always <laughs> in grown folks business, wanting to know what was like going on. And so when I was thinking about what to call my business, I one wanted to honor my dad who passed away a couple of years before the business really took off. Mm-hmm. And then what, two, year, what year is this? 2016. Okay. And so when I started, when I, when I finally got to the point where I was like, okay, I really need to like incorporate this work that I'm doing between the blog and mm-hmm. the speaking and so forth. Like I, this needs to be a real thing. I was like, what do I want to call this? And um, I had already been blogging under the pen name of Buzz Rooney for mm-hmm. a few years because when I first started writing, my bosses wanted like no parts of their human resources person out on the internet telling all the stories and spilling all the tea. So <laughs> I wrote under a pen name for the first three years. Uh-huh. And then once I retired that, um, it was like, well, no, let's let's bring it back and let's honor my dad. And let's let's honor that curious little three year old who literally had Buzz Rooney on a T-shirt running around the Is house. Is that right? Wow. I did. And when and when I tell you I cried when I couldn't fit it anymore, my mom threw it away. Like I, I said, I was the sad little kid at the window watching the garbage truck take my T-shirt away. But yeah, so when once I wanted to name the company, I just wanted to to keep that alive and keep that that moving forward. Um, and so now I, in my consulting business, I work with small businesses and startups about creating inclusive and equitable workplace cultures mm-hmm. so that employees can feel safe, seen, and supported um, in their work lives. And that's that's the work I'm doing. Um, I still have my blog, The Buzz on HR, ten years mm-hmm. later. Um, 10,000 subscribers, lots of awards. Um, then, and then I started my podcast almost two years ago, um, which is Leading in Color, where I'm talking to leaders of color in the corporate space about how they are building socially conscious, diverse, equitable organizations successfully, and then also giving my own advice on what mm-hmm. I think organizations need to be doing in that regard. Yes. That's yeah. really cool. Harry, there's, there's, there's hope for Amari, my two-year-old who will be three here soon. Um, he's into everything. He's a buzzer-rooney. He's a buzzer I got the nickname for him now. He's a buzzer. He's a, he's a buzzer-rooney. He's Harry. He's everything. That's right. Let me ask you a question. So we talked about Richmond, kind of joked around about that, but like you had a bachelor's in communication studies, right? With a focus on organizational communication and leadership. Yeah. Correct. Okay. So, so, you know, I remember when I went to school, like I, I majored in English. I, didn't have, I have no idea what I was planning on doing. Right. I should have been, I should have been up in the B school at Red Richmond. Right. Yeah, but, but I, I, right. But I, I did what I was good at. Like I could write, you know, mm-hmm. so I was like, let me make sure I can stay in school here. Right. You know what I mean? But it seems like with that, with that focus, you, it seems like you kind of knew what you wanted to do from the jump. Is that true? Or am I making. Those- it's not. Okay. So I went to college thinking that I wanted to be a lawyer. Um, mm-hmm. And I intended fully to go to law school. The summer between my junior and senior year, I did an internship um, at the attorney general's office in downtown Richmond. Okay. Hated it. Mm. I was in my mind. I was going to be Jack McCoy 
from Law and Order, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, you know, just in the courtroom objecting and getting justice. And when I actually was a buzzer running around. <laughs> exactly. And when I got there, that was not what I was seeing. And I was just like, I don't think I want to do this. Like another, mm-hmm. you know, three years of school and testing and I, like, I, this isn't it. And so I had to make a complete pivot and um, change my major, change my focus. And then when I came out of school, I still didn't know what I wanted to do. And finally, my roommate at the time was like, girl, you got to get a job. Because <laughs> at that point, I was like taking temp jobs just like two, three weeks here and there, mm-hmm. just to have enough money to like pay bills and party a little bit. Like that yeah. was it. Yeah. And my roommate was like, enough, like, I'm gonna put you out. And so I had to get a real job. And then I started applying for stuff. And my mom was in human resources. And she was like, maybe you should try it, you know, and I did apply for the recruiting coordinator job. And the rest is history. So she was right. Mom's always right. (laughs) Mom Dukes. Mom Dukes is always right. Shout out to Nancy Eitzen in Bowling Green, Ohio. (laughs) Mom's, I can't wait for the holidays. You know how, you know what I do on Thanksgiving, Harry? Eat and pass out. That's exactly right. Sarah knows. I'm so, say, you got to have that right, the right aunt who can come in and make the mac and cheese. That's right. Auntie, and the that's stuff. Right. And not everybody can do it. You know, no, you know, not everybody, everybody can do it. Everybody that's can do it. So, well, you know, you talked to, you had a, you had a podcast previous to this solo podcast, right? I did. So I did, um, I worked with a multi-contributor blog um, mm-hmm. called Performance I Create, and we had created a podcast and we did about 10, 15 episodes mm-hmm. um, just really talking about really traditional like HR workplace kind of stuff um, mm-hmm. taking things ripped from the headlines and then just talking about like what why we thought it worked why we thought it didn't work and then right as we were going into our second season is when my dad passed away mm. and I was like I'm not in the headspace to be able to produce any content and I'm just like no good to anybody so mm. the, we put it on pause and then we just never got it back going again it's a great 10 episodes though it's okay still, it's still out there on the internet you can listen to it um, we had a great cool. we had a great time but so eventually in 2017 you all talked about this earlier i started my um black blogs matter challenge mm-hmm. and i have really gone through a, a difficult time just with the way that things were transpiring in the country and mm-hmm. um just with the unarmed killings of black people and the lack of justice that we were receiving and decided like I was at the point where I just couldn't write anymore because it's like I don't want to talk about how to be a better manager and and how to do all of these kind of traditional um, workplace tasks when the world that I live in looks how it looks and feels how it feels. And so I had stopped writing for a while. And then um, like my friends were noticing and they were like, yo, what's going on? And so one of my really good friends was like, well, why don't you try a writing challenge? So like get yourself out of this rut and get yourself back into to writing again, looking for stuff, didn't really find anything that appealed to me. So I was like, I'm gonna create my own. And so put together this 28 day challenge for Black History Month in um 2017 called it black blogs matter invited some other friends who i knew were bloggers to do it with me um Mm -hmm. just to keep me accountable and i wrote about everything like i just poured it all out i talked about being the first and only black woman in so many spaces that i occupied i talked about colorism i talked about hair i talked about 
um, the N word, like you name it, I mm. hit on it in that 28 days and I just got it all out. And once that happened, it was like, it just kicked the door open for me to finally feel like my full authentic voice was out there in the space. Mm. And surprisingly, it really resonated well with people. I think when you come from a place of authenticity, like it's that real recognized real moment where right. people will see it for what it is and, and appreciate it um, and respond in kind. Mm -hmm. And so now it's like, okay, I'm onto something. And I just continue writing. I wrote about Charlottesville. I talked about being a survivor of domestic violence. Um, uh, yeah, you name it. Like I just put it all out there and allowed myself to be completely and totally vulnerable. Um, in these spaces, mm -hmm. the lessons that I learned and how that applies to business, because we think so often that, you know, we're these separate entities that we go to work and the work that we do is the work that we do. And then who we are after that's finished mm -hmm. is something different. The reality is we're so much more blended. We always have been, but I think now we recognize that we're so much more blended as individuals than we've given ourselves credit for. Yep. And so it's just, it makes it more important for you to figure out how you blend the two. And me working in human resources, I see the intersection of life and work every single day with people. Yeah. I'm dealing with people's pay. I'm dealing with their benefits when they have to take leave, when they're getting ready to have a baby, when someone has passed away, when their right. performance is difficult, I'm constantly in that intersection. And if I can't talk about the, the deep, dark, difficult moments, nobody can. And mm. so it just felt important for me from a, to be a, if I'm gonna be a leader in this space, then I have to be willing to, to say the things that need to be said and particularly the things that need to be said that nobody else is saying. Wow. I love that. You know, it's, it's, it's interesting because it's, you know, I've, I've looked, you're in season two, right? Of your podcast, yep, Leading yep. in Color. And, and I looked at all the, you know, I didn't get a chance to listen to all the podcasts, but I did. Actually, I recommended your podcast this, this morning. Uh, yeah, to, I was talking to a recruiter uh, that recruits for pharmaceutical companies and recommended your podcast because um, I did get a chance to listen to some of it. Uh, but my thought was, is as you were kind of being asked to be the expert in all these different areas, whether it's, you know, the expert in leading in color, right? Or mm -hmm. at your, at your, you know, job. Um, what have you, and with all the things that have been going on and you always having to have the answer and teach somebody something, what have you learned over the last couple months that you've been like, you know what, that I, I really, you know, I've, I've learned this, you know, particular thing uh, as we're kind of going to all going through this together. During the, I think the most important thing that I've learned during the pandemic is just the importance of, empathy, mm. um, being able to see people as whole people, even when they're at work. And because now so many of us are working out in our homes, mm -hmm. um, I, I would hope that that would become easier, although stories abound, you know, of ways that we're getting this wrong. Mm -hmm. But I think um, really honing in your empathy and finding ways to be like the the most kind version of yourself in this moment that you can be first to yourself, like recognizing that this is not normal, um, is not going to be normal. You know, we can find pockets of normalcy in the midst of it, but this is not a normal moment. The way that our bodies respond in this moment are strange. The way that um, 
everything operates is is going to be different than than what it was before and and giving yourself permission to like just do enough and just be enough you know for that particular moment and then i think the second thing i would say is learning to slow down um not expecting myself and not expecting other people to produce at the same levels that they did six months ago um we're just is we're just not in the same space anymore and it's unlikely we'll get back to that space ever but if we do it's not going to be for a really long time and so finding ways to again finding ways to just be enough um mm. to discover like those simple joys of life um staying really in touch with like your mind and your body and and how you're feeling and responding to things and being extra kind to yourself and to others has been the biggest lesson for me so far this year that's That's awesome that's really you you know what's interesting is i want to kind of i want to kind of get real real with you here for a second so 2020 right 2020 2020s if you picture 2020 like in a word bank or like a word box you know what i mean and there's all different things you can toss into 2020 right like 2020's been 2020's been something quite serious, the decade right? <laughs> <laughs> right and and one of the one of the kind of the words or phrases in 2020 that you know i guess has surfaced resurfaced for some some have never heard of this word or phrase is anti-racism mm. right anti-racism is a word that a lot of people are using for the first time you know they've thinking about it for the first time uh, across different races and ethnicities and genders and so on and so forth it's new for some people Mm so i want i'm curious for you what 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 is what is anti-racism what is it so the dictionary definition is talks is really about like the active process of first identifying and then eliminating oppressive systems, organizational structures, practices, policies, um, and attitudes, attitudes of people so that we redistribute power more fairly and equitably across all individuals instead of keeping it centralized mm-hmm. with, with just one group. Um, for me, I look at it like I, I think we've always seen racism as this kind of thing of having three buckets. You are either racist, you are non-racist, and then you are anti-racist. And we've always looked at non-racist as like the good people. You know, mm-hmm. I don't see color. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, I treat everybody respectfully. I treat everybody the same. Um, and then, but we look at anti-racist as this more really radical thing um and the people that you know we think of these like super woke people who see um offenses and uh disparities and inequities in everything and the as i've read more this year about anti-racism i'm starting to realize that it's not a spectrum or a continuum, it's really like vacillating identities and kind of flip sides of the same coin Mm -hmm. where you are either racist in that you are supporting current structures that disenfranchise, oppress, marginalize Mm -hmm. people 
or you are anti-racist, where you are actively trying to dismantle those systems, behave in ways, enact things that distribute things more equitably across everyone. And you can be both in the same person at this and not necessarily at the same time, but you can be both in the same person. There are things that I do that are racist. And then there are things that I do that are anti-racist and that can happen in the same hour, in the same day, in the same conversation, depending on whether I am actively supporting the status quo or pushing for there to be redistribution fair more fairness more equity it's not that you are always one or you are always the other it's that you are always both you should be striving to be less racist and more anti-racist but we're conditioned into racist capitalist sexist culture from from womb not even birth like from the womb and so even before we are born and Mm -hmm. We're then we come out and we're immediately like indoctrinated and conditioned to that our whole lives. And unless you have someone or something that forces you to take a look at those things and challenge it within yourself and within others, you can go decades and decades and decades without realizing that you are perpetuating racist ideas. And we have to check that, you know, within ourselves and start to more actively have conversations about how we do it differently and how we create more fair, inclusive, equitable opportunities for all people. Um, So that's what I think of when I think of anti-racism. I think it's important, particularly right now, a lot of it came to a head after the murder of George Floyd because people were so outraged and so blatantly aware of how wrong um, and evil that particular event was, that I think it stunned a lot of people who had always considered themselves to be non-racist to realize that that they needed to do more. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's why I think anti-racism has kind of pushed itself to the forefront of vocabulary because people need an active idea that they can latch onto and an active framework that they can kind of follow to give themselves a a way out um, beyond the space of neutral, but to actually know that they're doing something. Wow. You know, it's funny, Harry, uh, somebody, one of my old managers used to say, he goes, you're either getting worse or you're getting better, but nobody's staying the same, you know, and it's kind of that same concept. And I, I think that like, I, you know, we, we talk, Harry and I talk about this a lot um, as far as, you know, people that have taken the time to understand different cultures, different people, uh, different personalities, you know, the, the, the diversity that lies in, in people that are around us are the ones that typically have more impact, right? Mm-hmm. They have more influence. They're, they're able to tilt a room more mm-hmm. effectively. Um, and so it, that being said, and you, you talk about, you know, getting better, you know, doing the things to, to, to be anti-racist, what are some specific things, whether I'm white or black or, or, you know, somewhere in the, in, in between, um, like I am, 
because I'm white and black. <laughs> Shout out to Nancy Eitz and John Eitz. I'm talking about myself right now. You're talking about yourself right now? <laughs> so, but, but, but what are some things specifically that we can do um, to, 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 to really help, you know, get better in this area? As individuals, the most important thing you can do is just continue to do things to cultivate your awareness, really looking for resources to help you to better understand the history of our world. And we're not even just talking about America, but we're talking about the history of our world, how people became racialized, how racializing people fed into imperialism, capitalism, colonialism, and then how all of our economic structures, our, our educational structures, all of those things were then built, you know, off of those same notions. Um, under, when you understand that, you realize like really like how messed up, you know, a lot of this is. And then you can really start the process of unlearning it and challenging yourself as you are, particularly as a leader, when you are making decisions surrounding policy, when you're making decisions surrounding partnerships um, with, or like who is being centered, who is in the room, who is missing from the room, who is um, going to be disenfranchised from these by this decision? Are we okay with that? Like you can really start to challenge all of those notions and start to make intentional decisions with equity in in the room um, and in your mindset. Um, from a from a organizational leadership standpoint, I always advocate for leaders to start with inclusion first. Like when you're you're looking at diversity, equity, inclusion, I say start backwards. Like start with inclusion first because you can have homogenous environments that are not inclusive. You can have all women environments, all male environments, all white environments, so on and so forth. And there not be inclusion. People don't feel physically and psychologically safe in the space to disagree, to um, show up as their, you know, full authentic selves because there's these ideas of how you're supposed to look and talk and act and behave. Um, if you don't settle that out first before you start bringing people of different cultures and different identities and backgrounds into it, you're going to have a mess. Um, so if you can focus on, on the inclusion factor to begin with and then start to bring in the equity where you're feeling like everyone is first um, being paid in a way that is equitable based on their experience, based on their tenure in the organization, um, and you know, education is it may or may not be a factor depending on what you're doing. Um, making sure that there is space for rest for individuals. We don't rest enough, particularly in America. We're terrible about it. Um, we do not give people enough time off to rest and reset and recuperate. Um, and making sure that people have comprehensive health care coverage so that if they are sick um, or if someone in their family is sick, that they're not put in a financial bind in a difficult situation where they can't get the care that they deserve. Like those are the equity things that you as an organization, just base level boilerplate can do. And then that's when you start to think about diversity is how we add different people into this mix to further enhance this culture that we've already built. Um, 
because once you have those pieces right, then then you have the baseline for for treating people properly, and you don't have to worry as much about what you're gonna do with when you bring different people into the mix because right. you already know what you're supposed to do. Um, and from an anti-racism standpoint, I would say. I mentioned before, like looking at your partnerships, making sure that your vendors have diversity in them, making sure that you're not partnering with organizations that support things that are contrary to your goals and efforts and what you believe as an anti-racist organization. Um, I recently met with a client who had the opportunity to partner with an organization that I know, you know, very well known, would have brought them a lot of money, would have brought them would have really helped their brand and, and you know, their image. But this is an organization that has questionable um, handling surrounding women's reproductive rights and questionable positions surrounding Black Lives Matter, Blue Lives Matter. And they're like, ooh, we just went through all this work to put together this anti-racism statement, to put together these efforts, and now we're going to partner with these people, we can't do this. So (laughs) we got to have a conversation with this partner and let them know, like, how do we figure this out? And if we can't, we got to be ready to walk away. Mm -hmm. And so it just requires like more diligence on the part of your organization about who you're partnering with, how you're structured so that you're not... um, creating huge divisions between the top and the bottom of your organization. The mm-hmm. organizations tend to be more equitable when they're more flat. So the more that you can do to flatten your organizations, which can be hard, you know, mm-hmm. when you're dealing with large organizations, but we put a lot of levels into things unnecessarily and that kind of hierarchy um, feeds classism and capitalism yeah. and keeps the status quo in place. So looking at that, and then we talked about individual Um, We talked about comp and benefits. And then I think individual behavior, honestly, is the last thing. Like we keep trying to to empty the the bay with a teaspoon when it comes to racism by addressing. And and listen, I do my like I would literally was doing a microaggressions training before I got here. So I do like anti-bias, anti-microaggressions, anti-harassment. Like I do all that stuff and I'm all for holding individuals accountable. But if we focus on just changing individual behaviors and don't ever look at the structural things, we're, we're going to be on a hamster wheel with this for far too long. So we got to get bigger, you know, in terms of our impact in order to, to make that difference. That's yeah, no, it's, you know, the, the thing that um, I love that you're talking about is intentionality. Yeah. You know, you, you, you talked about um, in one of your podcasts in, intentional inclusion which mm-hmm. I love that. I love that. Um, and I, I, think- I can't even take credit for that. That was from my line sister. So shout out to Kirsten oh, oh, Griggs. Okay, <laughs> Griggs. I see you girl. Yes. <laughs> so no, but I, I love that. And, and, and I think being intentional in this environment, like you said, like whether, whether you're being intentional in terms of hiring, reaching out to people that are different than you getting to understand, taking somebody out for coffee, having somebody over at your house, mm-hmm. you know, um, those are all intentional acts, whether they're at work or at home that you can do. The other thing I like that you just said, and, 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 and then I'll let Harry speak on this is rest naps. Yeah. I think naps are important. They I think naps. Take naps for sure. Yes. DJ's the king of naps. So like I if, think if, naps. We could, if we could have a, we could get endorsed or get a sponsorship on anything having to do with naps somehow. This man yeah. would, be, would be in good shape. Yeah, mattresses, yeah, couches, mattresses. Yeah. So. I'm not mad at it. These Not messages sponsored by Molecule Mattress. 
<laughs> that was an excellent that? commercial voice. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. I've been working on that for a minute. Um, <laughs> so, thank, no, but, so thanks for mentioning rest. I appreciate well, that. Actually, no, it's, it's, it's important because, I mean, we talk about sleep, recovery, nutrition, et cetera, mm-hmm. rest, uh, recovery, whether it be, you know, you don't have to be an athlete to recover. Right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And just yesterday, I, mean, I was in this office just yesterday. It was like 530. Just getting it, grinding it out. And I got like my, my vision got blurry. I just laid on my couch, kind of, um, you know, sent some emails and I was like, I gotta get home. Mm-hmm. I ate some food, still didn't feel right. And I just, I, I, I was zonked out at 7.45 PM mm-hmm. sleeping mm-hmm. and slept until, you know, 6.30 in the morning. And I think I was just exhausted. I was just yeah. out. And, um, and so you gotta get it. You gotta get it. Um, you know, one question I was going to ask you is, so I got a question, um, from an executive of one of our clients and, he came to us and he's like, Hey, you guys have anything on, you know, DNI, right? DNI, uh, diversity inclusion. I said, well, to be honest with you, not a ton. Like mm-hmm. that's something we're working on, something we're working towards, but like, I want to know what you're, what you're looking for. I'm curious. What are you looking for? Because a, we love to start providing solutions in this area. Mm-hmm. B, we want to do it in a way that is authentic. We're not trying to like, you know, square peg round hole this thing, right? We want to try to like, how does this resonate with the product that we already have? That you already have. You know what sure. I mean? So we're not, um, and what's interesting is like, well, the reason why I'm calling you is because like, as a, as a CEO, you know, we've done some things with DNI and, and, you know, and, 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 you know, diver- uh, diversity, inclusion, and equity. And a lot of it falls flat or short or whatever, because it ends up being more about, um, what this is from him, victim mentality or other things as he told me. Mm. Right. And so I was like, Oh, Uh-oh. and, th- and, and there's a couple other pieces he said to that, but, and I was like, oh, uh, you know, I think my voice literally went high. Like, oh, like, you know, <laughs> no, yeah, like, it always does, man. What do you do? Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. I hit him with the Maxwell, you know, uh, yeah, but I hit, but like, I, so I wasn't sure how to respond initially, you know, honestly, initially, I, I literally wasn't sure how to respond. Right. Because mm-hmm. also this was a client. I was like, oh, right. Thinking right. Off. But then power, he, the power I, structure. But is I think where he easy, continued yeah. on with it was talking a little bit more about what he was, and I, maybe maybe it came out wrong when he was trying to get done. I don't know, right? This is how what he's then this is what he came back with. It's not 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 only is it the right thing to do, but it's the winning approach to take. Yeah. If if you were in my seat that day, what's your response to that? I think the thing is that we have to accept that the experiences of people with marginalized identities are real, right? And they we, because every single one of us in this conversation has a, a marginalized identity, we are entitled to have that honored. Because a lot of what, what mindset is about is getting a person from negative to neutral so that you can move them into positive. You can't get a person out of that negative mindset, that victim mindset, that this has happened to me, I can't control it, I can't stop it, I can't overcome it. You can't get a person to move out of the mind, the negative side of that mindset into this experience is giving me data that mm-hmm. I can use to power me forward. You can't get a person to move out of that until you meet them where they are and acknowledge their reality. Mm-hmm. And so to me, I would charge my client with tapping into his empathy. I had a, 
in my training that I do on microaggressions, I give, I, I say this, if you had a person who you worked alongside, who told you that they grew up in a household where their parents degraded, belittled, mistreated them on a day-to-day -day basis. And so therefore they have confidence issues, self-esteem issues and so forth. And they came to you and you told them this, you would immediately understand that. You would immediately have empathy for that. And you would immediately look for ways to support that person in trying to overcome that. Why is it so difficult when the research has shown the, mic the microaggression um, study, the microaggression project did a study in 2018 that shows the average person with a marginalized identity experiences five to 10 microaggressions per day. Huh. And it really starts heavily with, with school-age children. So it's not, so you're talking from the time you're four or five years old on up through super grown adulthood, five to 10 times a day. That's 4,000 microaggressions a year. Over, so you bring somebody into a workplace, I'm 30,000, 40, 50,000 microaggressions into this thing. And another thing that the study showed is that when you take a person who has been microaggressed, they come out of homeostasis, like whatever their neutral is, is now heightened. And it takes on average that person about 72 hours to get back to neutral. When you combine that with this idea that people get microaggressed five to 10 times a day. When do I ever get back to neutral? Mm -hmm. The impact of that is compound trauma. You would never look at a person who has experienced compound trauma. You would never look at a war veteran and be like, dude, get over it. No, <laughs> I got to work with you to help you resolve that trauma, get you to neutral and get you to see the way forward. And I think we have to look at racial trauma through that same type of lens. What's difficult to accept about that is, is goes back to the idea that we talked about earlier about racist versus anti-racist, because it is hard for me to accept that I am a perpetrator in that. I don't, in, I may not intend to be, I may not willingly be, but I am a perpetrator within that. And I can be a person who looks just like you and still be. A perpetrator within that. I've had conversations mm -hmm. recently. Um, I did a workshop last week and where I talked specifically about anti-racism in HR. And I said, I had to take a hard look at myself because I've worked in roles that have kept me with, you know, frontline workers. I talked very early on about how I started my career in the plant in Chester, Virginia. I terminated the job, the employment of hundreds if not thousands of black and brown people, people who look like me, who quote unquote misbehaved in the workplace. I was not wise enough at that time to recognize that what they needed was equity. And what that equity looked like was in a lot of cases support huh. to help them to understand the, uh, first of all, recognize the traumas that they were going through to give them support, to try to redirect them, to get them to that neutral that we talk about and help them to see a way forward. Like I failed at that and that made me racist. And so I was perpetuating that. I gotta own that. I gotta sit in that. I gotta recognize that that's real. And then I gotta talk about how I'm gonna do that differently. 
I can't necessarily make, you know, reparations, restitution to all of those individuals, but I can freely admit that. And then I can talk about how I've educated myself since then and how I do it differently now. So I hope that answers the question Uh, (laughs) (laughs) of what I would say to that particular client and, and how I would get them to see it differently. We have to start looking at at the trauma that that causes mm-hmm. to individuals to have that kind of prolonged exposure. And we have to deal with it the way that we would deal with, with someone who was traumatized. Mm. Yeah. Empathy is so, so important. I'm so glad you brought that up, you know, and I think one of the things that we see happening now, unfortunately I was, I was uh, a couple of weeks back, my son had seven year old son had a, a, um, a flag football game. And mm-hmm. so I, I went, you know, was getting ready to get set up, dropped him off, went to go back to get my chair out of my car. And as I'm going to get my chair, a group of young, you know, uh, like look like either teenage, maybe college age kids, they yell out, all lives matter, <sighs> you know? And, it's, mm-hmm. and, and so, but what I thought about is just like what you were saying, like the, the empathy part. It's like, you know, it's like, It'd be like, you know, you telling me that your your father passed away in 2016 and me, you know, as soon as it happened and me going to you, yeah, you know what? All dads die. All dads die. You know, my dad died. You know, yeah, Mm -hmm. you know, dad, you know, and we wouldn't do that in any other aspect of our Mm -hmm. life. So it's, um, I think it's important that empathy piece underscores, you know, some of the things that, 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 you know, the Black Lives Matter, you know, like, you know, we're just saying, have a little empathy, you know? Mm -hmm. And uh, so that's, that's, that's really powerful. Um, I, I love, I love your, you're so educated, smartest, probably one of the smartest people we had on the show, Harry, definitely the smartest <laughs> person in this room right now. Okay. I can, I can definitely say that. That's every episode. That's every episode. That's But, but what I'm, what I'm fascinated with is like, just like all the knowledge that you have, um, you know, you obviously got a master's degree, you, you've well-educated, well-read, uh, who is it? Who's somebody that you look up to and, and admire in the way that they walk? And 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 uh, you know, tell us a little bit about that or who that person is. I, I, it's really like my mom and my and my ancestors. Like period. Like my mom. So my mom has like lots of like out like also like food allergies and then also like seasonal like environmental allergies. And so she's very sickly growing up and which she did homeschooling before homeschooling was really a thing because they just had, you know, something would happen. She would have an outbreak. She got to go home. They just send the work with her. Like my mom did things like read the dictionary, like for inner, for her own entertainment and just like, you know, just like geeked out on all kinds of stuff. And so I really um, have just always looked up to her and just wanted to do things to make her, proud and make her you know excited for me and I feel the same way as like about my grandparents like my grandfather had a sixth grade education and he taught himself through the library how to become an electrician and went on got a job at the Ford Motor Plant um, programming things within the cars and was one of the first black men to be promoted into a supervisor position at the Ford Motor Plant in in New Jersey. My father's father was, you know, left college and when got drafted into the war, came back, started his own business, taught himself 
through reading how to fix boilers and air conditionings and built a, a successful business. So when I think about like who I want to be like, it's them, you know, it's, it's making them proud and just continuing that legacy of being a person who grabs hold of all the learning that I can get and uses it to make my world, wherever that is, like a better place. Well, you, you mentioned legacy. What's next for you? Like, what's, what's up? Like, where, what's next for you? Where can people, like, find you and expect you to be? Overall, for me, it's really about just continuing to help my business grow, continue, mm-hmm. you know, growing Buzzaroonie to the point that it can sustain me and my family. Um, and I don't have to work you know, a full-time job and it, you know, is, is the ultimate goal. But in the meanwhile, just, just trying to be the best version of me in all three places. Like I've got my day job, I've got my business, and then I've got home and trying to make sure that I'm not splitting myself in three, but really just trying to be one whole individual that sh- is present in whatever moment I'm in. That's awesome. Great. Yeah, she, she you deserve a nap doing all yes, that. You know okay. what I'm saying? Harry <laughs> has one job and he said he got tired yesterday. So you know what I'm saying? That's the, uh, she deserves a nap. Uh, so Sarah, we're going to, we're going to close out here. We, we like to ask some fun kind of rapid fire questions. Rapid fire. So, yeah, that's right. So we're going to do These that were not you. easy by the way. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So one favorite thing you have watched during the pandemic? So first of all, I watch a lot of TV. So mm-hmm. this, this is not an easy question. Um, but I went back and I binged The Wire from okay. the very first season till the end. I actually originally, I didn't watch the fourth and fifth season. I got so mad when they killed Stringer Bell that I was like, I quit. <laughs> so I just stopped watching the show. And um, I missed the fourth and fifth season. And I mean, the fourth season goes down like historically one of the best seasons of tele- mm. television ever. And I missed it. So I watched it. Um, my, my husband and I binged The Wire. So that has nice. been the most fun for me for television during That's the cool. pandemic. That's cool. <laughs> uh, one person you would like to meet? Aside from Jesus, I would say... I go with Barack and Michelle and they're like, a, they're like an entity. Like they're they got person. like, they're, they're one person. Yeah, right. It's like well, Barack and Michelle, like human. you say, so I'm going to go, I'm going to go with them. I, I, I like both. I think those, those are my two answers too. Jesus yeah. and Barack and Michelle. That's so it. That's, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. All right. So last book you read. Um, the CEO life by T. Renee Smith. Um, okay. she, is a phenomenal um, coach. She works with um, black entrepreneurs on like scale, preparing their business for scale. And I met her last year at a conference um, through black enterprise and um, just like, she's just phenomenal. And I bought her book at the time. It's been sitting on the shelf, but, and so I finally pulled it off and, and read it. It goes really through like how to structure. It's, it's a lot about mindset, a lot about how you structure your, your business and how you structure your life so that you can kind of keep good balance and practices. So um, yeah, it's, it, that's a, it's, that's a, it's an easy read too. So okay. I picked that up. Awesome. All I'm, about, right. I'm, about to, I'm about to DM her. She'd be your life coach, man. Yeah, yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah, for sure. She's, she's amazing, so for sure. That's, that's cool. And uh, do you have any pets? This may be the first time we ever asked this one. So any? I have a stepdog. <laughs> My, uh, our youngest is 11, and she got a dog for her birthday. 
Um, mm -hmm. But we have joint custody. So she and the dog go back and forth between here and her mom. So I, excuse my, I jokingly call it my step dog. And we have a goldfish. And that's it. Because with five children and all of them having two or three activities, we don't really have time for a pet. We desperately want like a full-time dog of our own, but until mm -hmm. some more of these kids get to college, my husband <laughs> and I, it's like, it's just not gonna happen. You know, you know, DJ's got five too, right? Yeah, but your kids are younger, as I recall. Yes, ma'am, yeah, yeah. So two, two to 12, two to 12, so. Ooh. It's it's on Hang a crack. Hang in there, my brother. Hang Thank in you. There. Well, you got well, you got. See, you you're doing all the stages I've already done. So I'm I'm going to you for advice. You, you please do, please <laughs> do, because these teen years, whoo. Mm. Uh, I can't yeah. even imagine. I the reality imagine. show. That's it. It is. It is. <laughs> it's it's called it two to twelve. Is. <laughs> yeah, it yeah. definitely is. So, but yeah, holla at me. I got. I will. I will spill on the tea. Harry, this has been a a real pleasure. Uh, Sarah, thank you so much for your time. Um, you know, I think we, we've all learned a lot. And uh, as we're trying to influence people in this environment and with all the stuff that's going on, I think you gave us a lot of great advice. So we appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you so much for having Thanks, me. Sarah. You've been listening to the Room Tilters podcast. If you love it, do us a favor and rate us, write us a review and share it with a friend. We appreciate you, our listeners. And remember, you don't have to be sick to get better.